Welcome to A Ticket to Ride. This is a real, raw, uncensored look at the end of life through the eyes and heart of a hospice nurse. Confessionals, education, and normalizing death and dying, because let's face it, our society just doesn't talk about it. So this one has been hard for me. Hard to find, hard to sit with, hard to open up about. I wasn't even sure if I wanted to keep going on this podcast thing. It's taken a lot of guts for me to open up and share. And sometimes I get in my head and overthink basically everything in my life. But then I met a few new people this last week and they really helped motivate me to keep going. Even if I feel like I sound like an amateur. And in the end, like I said before, if this podcast helps even one person, it was worth it. It's so therapeutic for me to get all of this shit out of my heart and out of my brain. So I just want to thank you all again for being here, whether you're just human or a nurse or a lover or a friend. I hope this podcast is serving as some kind of positive educational entertainment in your life. With that being said, I've been feeling a lot lately, and every time I sit down to start brainstorming ideas of what I want to focus on or talk about or share, it's grief. Grief just keeps coming up, not only because I deal with death and I'm surrounded by people who are grieving all the time, but because my own heart is full of grief these days. Grief is a mindfuck. There's no right way or one way or easy way to feel it or go through it. In nursing school, we were taught there were five stages of grief when in fact there are actually seven, but it can feel like more than that when you're in it. And it's true. No one can really prepare you on how you or someone close to you or anyone else for that matter is going to go through it. You know, it's not a straight arrow. It can creep in when you least expect it. And what I've realized lately is that you can grieve all kinds of different loss. It can be death, it can be a job, it can be a relationship, or even a woman after she's had a baby. I know all about that lately. (laughs) Any kind of loss promotes grief, and as humans, we lose a lot. Change is inevitable, and loss is very difficult. So the seven stages are shock or disbelief, denial, guilt, anger, bargaining, depression, reconstruction, and acceptance. They don't have to necessarily come up in that order, and you can kind of bounce back and forth or repeat or show signs of multiple stages at once. In hospice, we see all of these stages. The shock, you know, the initial diagnosis or prognosis, and the sense of disbelief that often comes with that. And then the denial piece, which is really common with a lot of our patients and families. And sometimes I have a hard time with this word denial because it seems so insensitive, but it's such a huge part of this process. And guilt, guilt is also one we talk a lot about when it has to do with, you know, feeling guilty that your loved ones are having to take care of you, feeling like a burden. And then from a caregiver's perspective, it's, A feeling of, you know, are we doing enough? Are we doing everything that we can? And then there's anger, which really, in my opinion, actually stems from fear. And then bargaining. 
And bargaining is the stage where I've actually heard it described as like a mental gymnastics, you know, to try to undo something we can't undo. And then depression, which is sadness, hopelessness. And people can get stuck here for a long time. And if you or someone you know is here, please get help because this stage can get scary and deep fast. And then comes reconstruction where there's kind of like an upward swing, like feelings aren't as overwhelming as they were. And then finally acceptance where there's a sense of calm, relief, peace, and even hope. Whether you're the one who's dying or the one who's losing a loved one or a friend, we know that emotions are running wild during this time in people's lives. And that's why it's so important to understand as the hospice nurse or any other outsider looking in, your role is to show compassion and grace and to not take it personal. And some days that's easier than others. And sometimes it's not about even what you say. It's not for us to fill the space with unnecessary words like he or she is in a better place or everything happens for a reason You know, sometimes it's just to connect and be quiet and be present with no judgment, just one heart being present with another heart and allowing yourself or that person the space to feel and, you know, simply saying, I see you and I'm here and that's it. Allowing permission, you know, for yourself or someone else to process it in your own time. I remember a patient I had, um, you know, the couple had been married for 45 years. They had a beautiful, loving family, and they had built a beautiful life for themselves. And they were high school sweethearts. And the husband was on service, and the wife took care of him. And they also had hired caregivers. Um, The patient was really stoic, always sitting in his recliner, watching baseball, always short of breath, but always denied it. He started to get weaker and had a couple falls, and it was really apparent that he was coming up on the end of his journey here. The wife had a lot of anxiety around this. She would always get up and leave the room or change the subject when it came to like the disease process or talking about you know, the, the end of life. Um, and I respected that, but I was realistic with her in, in a you know soft and loving way. And one day we got a call that he had had a change of condition, which really means like his breathing changed and he wasn't responding to her anymore. Uh, I arrived to the home and it was quite clear that he was very close. His eyes were at a half mass. His breathing was really slow. And the wife said, I don't want to be alone with him if he stops breathing, but I also have to be with him when he takes his last breath. So I did a couple things to get him just a little more comfortable. And she started nervously like getting up, going from the kitchen to the bedroom, you know, going through paperwork in the, in the kitchen. And she was back and forth, back and forth. And I called to her and I said, Hey, it's getting really close. Do you want to come in here? But I just don't think she was ready to hear me. And Just then, he had taken his last breath, and it was so peaceful, you could hardly tell. So I called to her again, and this next thing I did was for her. 
and for her only. I took her hand and I put it in his, and I told her to talk to him. I said, tell him everything you want to hear now. And she did. She told him it was okay to go and that she would be okay. And she told him she loved him forever. And it was at that moment when I said, he just took his last breath. And she said, oh my gosh. And tears were like falling down her face. And she said, it was so peaceful. I was here with him. I can't believe it. And after a few minutes, she said, I can finally accept that it was his time to go. And, you know, mind you, this whole thing occurred within like a minute of him taking his last breath. And I knew his spirit was in the room. And what I also knew is that 45 years of marriage, she needed that. She needed that to move through it and to move forward and to look back and know that that's how their beautiful life together ended. I can only hope that it helped assist her through some of her grieving process. You know, grief is sneaky and it can start way before the actual loss has even occurred. Grief still hits me when I retell a story even years after I've said goodbye. All the memories come rushing back, all the feelings. I can see it in my head. I can feel it in my heart. I can smell the smells. I can hear the sounds and almost remember the exact energy I felt at that time. And it's almost like in that moment, this force is working through me. And then when I think about it years later, I'm like, holy shit. That was so heavy and that was so sad. And I even get a little choked up now retelling some stories more than I ever do in the moment. And on a personal level, I've experienced many different moments of grief because like most of us, I've had a lot of different types of loss. I've had hundreds and hundreds of patients and I've had hundreds and hundreds of hellos and goodbyes. Some are quick and some are long And I know deep down that loss is such a huge part of life, but why does that not make it any easier when dealing with my own personal loss? I haven't had a death in my family or a super close friend circle since 2007. And I'm not sure how it would hit me. I'm able to completely hold it together and teach it and lead by example. But in my personal life, It is proving now that I'm just as fucked up and clouded around death than the next person. Anticipatory grief is what I would say I'm feeling in this moment. You know, my grandparents are reaching the end of their lives and it seems impossible. I've had my grandparents for 38 years. You know, my son has a great grandma and a great grandpa. And trust me, I know how lucky we are. So many people don't get to experience that, but I think that's what makes it even harder. I don't know life without them. And anyone that knows me knows that my grandma is basically my soulmate. We can still finish each other's sentences. Our bond is so deep and so special and things have been changing for her. And even though I know that death is inevitable for all of us, And I'm such a huge advocate of quality of life and hospice and letting your loved ones go when it's their time to go. But it is completely different when it's my family. And I know the goodbye is coming sooner than later. 
I'm just not sure how I'll ever be able to say it. And, you know, I think about like, can I turn the hospice nurse off? And and can I just be the granddaughter? And forget it. No, (laughs) it's not happening. Being an end of life doula or advocate or nurse is in my bones. It has become such a huge part of who I am that I can't turn it off. The control and sense of knowledge that I carry as a nurse works well out in the field. People appreciate it and they love me for it. But when it comes to my family, that role is just not needed right now. Right now, my role is to just be here for her in any loving, accepting way that I can. And she's tough. And a big part of why I am who I am is because of her. She helped raise me around people who were different, people with mental and physical disabilities. She taught me empathy and how to care for others. She had a child with physical disabilities, and she took care of other kids with physical disabilities. And we used to visit her mom in a long-term skilled nursing facility. She had dementia. And every time we went into the facility, she would remind me, you know, these people are lonely and they just need love. And, and we would walk in and, you know, they'd all be sitting in their wheelchairs in a straight line down the hallway. And um, she would tell me, if they try to hold your hand or hug you, that's okay. Don't be scared. Our job is to help them feel happier just for today. And then we would go into great grandma's room and we would pull down the blankets just to make sure they were repositioning her and keeping her clean and free from bed sores. And if they weren't, she made it known. She's a badass with a big heart, and she never sheltered me away from real life shit. I'm so thankful for that. And man, (laughs) the anticipatory grief is unreal. You know, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm frustrated. I'm really frustrated at our uneducated healthcare system, telling her right now she doesn't qualify for hospice. I'm battling between trying to control and surrender, and I'm rehearsing her death in my head over and over, thinking of every way possible I can force it into, you know, being a peaceful um it being peaceful and exactly how I think it should go. And some days I'm in complete acceptance that everything will happen, I guess, exactly how it's supposed to, because none of it is up to me. And just like I know with my patients, it's her process and her destiny. It's just way easier when I can leave the house and shut the door behind me and get into my car and turn on good tunes and go to my next patient rather than, you know, sit with all the emotions wrapped up around my own family. But I've been finding peace and comfort in reading and meditating and praying. I've been reading a lot of Ram Dass teachings lately um, if you've never heard of Ramdas and you're experiencing like end of life or a loved one who is or just dealing with some kind of loss, uh, please look him up. He says, Love transcends death. 
and that it happens after grief runs its natural course. Sounds pretty simple, right? Um, He's magical, and he has such a beautiful outlook. David Kessler, Brene Brown, they have some really helpful stuff on grief as well. And of course, Barbara Carnes, she's like the guru of hospice and all things end of life. She's so amazing, and I've learned a lot from her. So yeah, I mean, I don't have the answers to any of this, but my intention is to just talk about it, to let you all in on what I'm going through, and to shed light on it, and to once again normalize it. You know, you'd think that I would have this whole how to deal with death thing dialed in by now, but I don't. And it goes to show you how, how complicated it is and how many layers there are to all of it. I think allowing yourself to feel it and honor it in any way that you can is really important. And that's why I wanted to do this episode. I, I just wanted to honor grief. And if you're grieving some kind of loss right now, in this moment... I want you to know that I see you and I love you and you're not alone. Give yourself grace. Take a deep breath because we truly are in this together.